0: Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show with guest host Brian Weber on CBS Sports Radio. It is another hour of the program and it's great to have you with us across North America. I'm Brian Weber. Top aboard. 1-800-636-8686 and ATP Friday means we are harvesting your emails at Roman dot com. Hit me up on the X, B.W. Weber. Weber with two Bs. A reminder, if you want to get involved with Ask the Pros, head over to Cbsportsradio.com slash Pros. I will answer your queries coming up in the final hour of the program. Spent the majority of the first hour getting into the takeaways from the latest chapter in the Joe Flacco experience. Those scriptwriters... In a conference room at 345 Park Avenue in New York City, working for the NFL, are earning every dollar. Just want to know how late at night it was. They're completely out of ideas. And they go, all right, we're down to a fourth quarterback in Cleveland. Deshaun Watson's a creep. I do think that here's my sidebar commentary. I think Dorian Thompson Robinson is going to have a pro career, but wasn't up to it. As a rookie, P.J. Walker is just a guy bouncing around every league that's now defunct. XFL, though, coming back, apparently, merging with the USFL. Clearly, I need to get a life. So some guy wants to go home. It's about 11.45. He goes, "Uh, Joe Flacco, you buying that? Yeah, great. Send him to Cleveland. The magical mystery tour continues. Flacco playing at an exceptional level, making four consecutive wins for Cleveland. Wrapped up a playoff berth, their second in the last four years. Flacco, a huge component of that winning streak. Better than 300 passing yards for the fourth consecutive game. He almost got the 300 in the first half alone. Had the most productive half of his career. One thing we're not doing today, even though I'm a fill hack, we are not doing is Joe Flacco elite. Because I did that Every day on the radio and on TV, on NFL Network, towards the end of the regular season of 2012, throughout the playoffs in 2013. So I realize that we are green. We recycle in this industry. We pay it forward. Do not pick up the phone at 1-800-636-8686 and pose that question. You will not get past Jack Savage, who's running the board, screening everything, and already sending out evites. I'm told, that's the word on social media. Uncle Brian did not get his. Savage has a birthday coming up, so because I'm lame and looking for tropes, I did mention as a possibility for your interaction, what do you get a mercenary for his birthday? Hit me up on Twitter, B.W. Weber, Weber with two Bs. We'll pay that off in 20 minutes. We're going to talk more NFL here in 40 minutes. Back to the college football when we incorporate our first guest of the day, getting you set for the games that matter. They're coming up in college football with the national semifinals on Monday. Looking forward to our conversation with Chris Veneti of The Athletic. In addition to your tweets coming up in the next content block, as much as I try to avoid subjects that are just an item, not a topic, I have to address what's going on with the Pistons. Now, the question would be, okay, once I get into the gruesome specifics of their latest loss, which feels like, and I keep saying rock bottom, rock bottom, like I'm Jim Ross calling a match with Dwayne The Rock Johnson. I, I cannot believe that the Pistons are manufacturing new ways to lose to get this record-setting streak now to 28 straight. I'll go through the wreckage from last night in Boston, and then I'm going to go through their upcoming slate of games because here's the bad news, Piston fan. The fact that you didn't win last night says you may not win for a very long time. That's on the way. Reminder, we're brought to you by the great people at Old Trapper. Listen up, clones. Not all beef jerky is the same. Old Trapper's original, old-fashioned, teriyaki, hot and spicy, and peppered all come in four-ounce bags so you can sample different flavors to find the best one for you. Ask for Old Trapper by name because no other jerky compares. Old Trapper, what's your beef? If you're in Detroit... At least you have the Lions. And how many times, if you're older than the age of 25, have you been able to say, well, everything else sucks in my life. At least I have the Lions. The fact that the Cleveland Browns and the Detroit Lions both have 11 wins tells me we may not get to 2024. This has to be another sign of the apocalypse. Oh, by the way. I was today, years old, when I learned that December 29th apparently is Good Riddance Day. Is this new? Is this on the TikTok? I'm on the TikTok, right? I really sound like I'm 97 years old. Well, a couple of things. I should not be on the TikTok because I'm 54 pushing 112. That would just be creepy. And I realize now that people are so bored they just have to come up with some bit every day. And we're skipping the food thing. Another sidebar. Many of you find it incomprehensible that I've never had a Pop-Tart. I guess that became a thing again during the Pop-Tarts Bowl. Folks, when you've seen me on TV, you could tell that I'm not that careful about what I'm consuming. I just was not allowed to have one as a kid. And back to the notion... That has precluded me from being a TikToker. I'm not going to walk in and start eating Pop-Tarts at my advanced age. But I saw today, doing my 12 hours of show prep, Good Riddance Day now on December 29th. A bunch of people with no lives, I probably should get on a plane after the program and join them, are congregating in Times Square to say good riddance to an awful year. All right. As a veteran of hosting the final show of the year, going back to 2017, I'm going to pause and revisit when we get to the very end of the program. But I always feel an obligation because my style is to be critical of things, but I try to also balance it by optimism and hope. I think pragmatic is the way to go. I understand. It's been a challenging year for a lot of people. And especially during the holidays. And if I get serious for a second, hopefully this show provides a sense of community, even when you got to deal with me, because it's well documented. I am a clone. And at the end, Jack will hear this for the first time. So look through the glass with awe. I will spell out what this program has meant to me over the years, 20 years ago. I was unemployed, living with my mother in Palm Springs, okay? This show was a highlight of my day, and since I'm 54, I was 34. So not exactly crushing it, as you TikTokers say. But just because this year has been challenging, you don't have to presume tomorrow's going to be worse, right? That's why we love sports, unless you're a Pistons fan, and then I have to get back to the dire details. I'm Brian Weber, getting philosophical. On the last show, day of the year, 1-800-636-8686, that gets me back to the Lions. If the Lions can be successful, shouldn't that give us all a reason to believe that tomorrow can be superior to today? The Lions have been the most dysfunctional franchise in all of sports for my lifetime. In fact, their incompetence predates the many years I've been on this planet. And what an amazing congruence it is to have the Browns and the Lions both go into the playoffs. I mentioned this arcane nugget, but it's in my mind still fascinating. Maybe I'm just being a historian in who's a bit myopic. Last time, Cleveland and Detroit both had ten plus wins nineteen fifty three. Been a minute. And it's been almost as long since Detroit was a relevant team that had a legitimate shot at making the Super Bowl. By now you've heard, since it's Friday, going back to clinching the division over the weekend. This is their first division title since 1993. And I am cognizant who I'm filling in for. Jim is a major supporter of Dan Campbell and everything he has done to change the culture. Going back to last year. And it said a great deal about the buy-in and professionalism of the Lions that when they took the field in the final game on the final Sunday of the regular season at Lambeau Field with nothing to play for, they were mathematically knocked out of playoff contention. They still went out there and dominated the Packers to keep Green Bay out of the playoffs. The question was, was that going to be sustainable? Was that run last year a foundation for this year? And because the Lions have changed their mindset, the answer was resoundingly yes. So in no way am I trying to parse or dissect this magnificent story, especially given the decades of suffering. Lions have one playoff win since their last championship in 1957. It is hard to be as grossly mismanaged as the Lions have been. All I'm saying in terms of this year, if you're a Lion fan, and I think most of you expect doom because you've lived it, is just temper your expectations to a degree because as someone who watches the games carefully, and I'm not breaking down film, but when the red zone starts, I'm there for seven hours like you are of commercial-free football. The pattern that I've seen from the Lion defense, other than the Bronco game, has been troubling because they're giving up a lot of big plays and way too much yardage. Now, the counter would be they're stepping up when they have to. So you could say, all right, the empty calories, something I certainly know a lot about. Don't look at what they're giving up in terms of yardage. Look at actual touchdowns, and that's probably the key metric. But just watching these games... And it was a great scene for them to finally clinch that first division title since 1993, edging the Vikings. But that game should not have been that close. And for future Hall of Famer Nick Mullins to have to throw his fourth interception on in what proved to be the final play of the game in that 30-24 thriller, that's another indictment on the state of the Detroit defense. And the challenge becomes all the more significant coming up tomorrow. Because while Dallas is equally flawed, they do not lose at home. 15 consecutive wins trying to complete an undefeated home schedule. So we're going to learn more about the Lions defense tomorrow. Here's the series of quarterbacks that have carved them up. Going back to, I just picked Thanksgiving as an easy line to draw over the last troublesome month or so. Jordan Love played very well against him. Derek Carr, who's had an atrocious year in New Orleans. I have no idea what's happened to him from a confidence standpoint, in addition to getting beat up physically. And I think Dennis Allen is a candidate to be dead man walking as we get closer to Black Monday with... Brandon Staley, Frank Reich, and Josh McDaniels already unemployed. In fact, I think Allen and Arthur Smith could be a twofer. Falcons and Saints could be looking for new head coaches. Jim will cover that when he's back from vacation starting on Tuesday. In addition to Carr, Justin Fields has played very well against Detroit. And I just mentioned the man with the gold jacket in his trunk of his car, Nick Mullins. Now you have Dak Prescott playing at home. So... Since I'm going to be back with you on Monday, and I don't root for teams or individuals, I'm in the storytelling industry, I hope I'm wrong. I'd love to see the Lions defense finally get things buttoned up because they're going to need that come playoff time because it looks like Matthew Stafford, of all peoples, coming to Ford field with the Rams. And as much as I think Stafford's just a guy, begrudgingly, I got to give him credit for staying healthy this year, and Sean McVay once more showing he is a gifted play caller who can get the most out of marginal talent. So, to me, that's the referendum on the line for Detroit tomorrow. Get that defense right. How is it fixable? I don't pretend to be a defensive coordinator. I know this. They were playing at a much higher level for the first two-thirds of the year, which tells me This can be solved, and a lot of it comes down to, as cliched as it may sound, being opportunistic as we saw with Cleveland last night. That entire game was solidified in Cleveland's direction when Trevor Simeon threw that pick six to make it 20-7. to I want to see the Lions' defense be that impactful. As for Dallas, I think the Cowboys win, but then my question is going to be, what does that mean? Because at some point, they're going to have to go on the road in the postseason. And we've seen it much more in recent weeks because Dallas had to go on the road. They got absolutely destroyed by the Bills. You could say, okay, burn the tape there. I I think that's lame and never the right answer. But fine. You want to call that a one-off okay. How do you explain what happened in Miami? To put Dallas now with 3-5 and on the road, context is meaningful. Those wins coming at Carolina, at the L.A. Chargers, at the Giants. Two of the three coaches they've beaten have already been fired. Dallas leads the league in penalties. Six more penalties Sunday in Miami, including that critical face mask on what proved to be the game-winning drive as Sanders nailed another field goal. So Dallas fans, I'm not trolling you. I don't have to. Jerry's team has been frozen in time since the mid-1990s. There's a wealth of talent. If we were just talking about fantasy football, fantasy alert, fantasy alert, even though Alvin's not here, it'd be an entirely different story. But all I keep hearing is that this defense is on the same level as the doomsday defense of a million years ago. Well, where were you on that final drive What all you had to do was make a play or two after Dak, to his credit, was able to get it down the field and get it in the end zone. But Cowboy fans are so delusional. I'm reading tweets that sound like this Well, didn't we do well to limit Miami to just a single touchdown? That's what we're looking for now, Cowboy fan. You want a cookie? You want a participation trophy? You want an orange slice? You're the Cowboys. You're supposed to have a different pedigree, a different heritage. Yes, there's a lot to like about this team. But you're going to have to go on the road in the postseason at some point. And we know how this ends. Because you are what you consistently do. And for the Cowboys, it's coming up small in big spots, especially on the road. I'm Brian Weber in for Jim Rome. Your phone calls could be on the docket. At 1-800-636-8686. I know this. More of your tweets coming up. B.W. Weber. Weber with two Bs. Emails also in the mix. Romanhaveatake.com. Coming up as we get deeper into our number two of the program in 25 minutes. Looking forward to checking in with our first guest. We're talking college football and the games that matter. With Alabama and Michigan, Washington and Texas, and the rest of the traditional New Year's Day matchups coming up on Monday, we will cover it all when we bring in Chris Vanini of The Athletic. Up next, just a little bit of NBA because I can't avoid it, and I don't have much of a topic here, so I am violating my own radio rules. I try to move beyond what feels like just an observation. Like a Mandy Rooney, somehow, another contemporary reference. You ever notice that the Pistons can't win a game? And I watched a lot of that game. And now I've moved from, wow, this is interesting, to, how does this keep happening? Losing is a disease. And apparently, the Pistons have a fever for Morells. 28 straight now. Just mind boggling last night. A collapse for the ages. Are the Pistons ever going to win again? And I'm not dabbling in hyperbole. We'll cover that along the way. I appreciate the company on the final Friday of the year. Let's keep it going together in the jungle. I'm Brian Weber in for Jim Rome on CBS Sports Radio. You're listening to the Jim Rome Show. Radio. Weber back with you. Always an absolute honor to be in for Jim, and I'm really excited to have the chance to do it again on Monday. I know I'm being relentlessly self-promotional, even more than my normal approach, but a slight deviation from the normal strategy. So, for example, on Christmas Day, you enjoyed Best of Jim because Best of Jim is better than anything I could do. But on January 1st, I'm going to do a live show. I'm going to be in studio given all of the ramifications that I've already been running through across the NFL and because of the magnitude of the college football game. So if you're enjoying what I'm offering today, hope you'll spend a couple minutes with me on New Year's Day, a Monday. And then the best holiday gift I can give you is that Jim is back on Tuesday, one eight hundred-six three six eight six eight six since I Shouted down a caller in the first hour. Probably not more calls coming up, but I will continue to throw out the number because it's been beaten in my head as a radio guy. Emails from have a looking for your ATP. That's coming up in just under an hour. And your tweets will be handled right now in advance of our college football conversation with Chris Vanini of The Athletic. And I'm talking piston basketball because I can't avoid it because it has become the grandest car wreck in the history of the NBA, and that is saying something. First, more reaction on Twitter, Intelligent Panda. I'm a Florida State alum, and I consider tomorrow's game a no-win situation. If Florida State wins, they don't get to play for the title. If they lose, it makes the committee look right. I don't blame the opt-outs at all. Nothing to play for at best. Early spring ball, well said. And echoing everything I laid out in the last hour of the program, here's the one part I don't think you're going to have to be concerned about, that if Dot Dot they win, they're not going to win. I would only hope just from a standpoint of empathy that the game is at least competitive for a while. And Georgia could decide, while they don't have as many official opt-outs, and we know Georgia's a much deeper team, Just look at every NFL roster and how many dudes from Georgia show up there. Uh, Absolute pipeline to the pros, which makes the fact that they didn't win anything on a national scale between Vince Dooley and Kirby Smart. A bigger indictment over the course of years with Mark Richt and other head coaches underachieving. I think it's going to be gnarly, as the kids said years ago here in SoCal. Hi, Bry. Feel free to call me Brian On New Year's Eve, will you have a glass of Pinot in one hand and in the other Jim Rome's microphone firmly grasping, yelling, You can only take this from my cold dead hands, Mike and Temecula. My couple problems. I'm not doing anything on New Year's Eve because I'm filling in for Jim. And you're thinking, okay, wait a minute. You're old, you're battered, you could probably roll into the studio, half in the bag. A, I would never do that. B, because I'm old and battered, I need my sleep. So the only question is, and thank goodness, it is not a good Sunday night matchup. Packers and Vikings. And yes, it's official. Jaron Hall, the rookie from BYU, making it another change of quarterback for the Vikings. I don't think Uncle Brian's going to be watching all that game. So I will be heading to bed early if I can somehow... Dial down a few things. And Southern California becomes a shooting range. It's like Lebanon the night before a new year between the fireworks and people just shooting firearms in the air indiscriminately. And then secondly, because now I've been warned, it's Jack Savage's birthday weekend. So I think the blimp is coming here to SoCal. It's going to be like Mardi Gras. Whatever the young guy's doing, in addition to murdering people, the cacophony and a big word Friday... Might lead me to hitting the sleeping pills even harder. Finally, Canadian hitman who I always flip could be hitman Canadian. Either way, there's only one Canadian hitman. It's not Jack Savage. You've never had a Pop-Tart. What about Kool-Aid? Were you needing a psychologist after getting haunted by your deprived childhood? I had parents who, for all of their indifference, and a quick sidebar about you helicopter parents, and I don't have kids, so I can tell you what to do on the radio. I came from a generation in which our parents were such narcissists, they were so involved with having a good time that they just assumed the kids would make it home. So in the summertime, and I got very lucky, the deal with the old man was get good grades, you don't have to get a job, and you only have to yell at me 40 times, and I figure it out, we would just ride around on our bikes all day long. I mean, I know I sound like I'm trying to audition for a Steven Spielberg movie in 1982. We did not find an alien. No hijinks ensued. It wasn't the Goonies. I wasn't the fat kid in there. I'll beat you to the joke. But we just hung out because there were no cell phones. And I think our parents were largely apathetic. Now, every generation swings. And I think my peers now have gone way too far the other way, where they're hanging out with their kids doing their homework every day because they want Johnny to get into a better junior high so he can get into a better high school and the rest of the sequence. So let a kid be a kid. I understand you want to be involved in their lives, but, yeah, my my parents were weird about what we could eat and drink. At the same time, they didn't give a damn what my sister and I did all day long. And there were no questions. As long as nobody came home bloody or I wasn't missing a sibling, life went on. And maybe we're better, although your suggestion about a psychologist probably should be on my docket in 2024. At least I'm not a Piston fan. Rough transition there. And I was trying to think about the topic here because the specifics are just hideous enough. But here's the topic I came up with. What a... Unbelievable juxtaposition. What an amazing division between the deepest NBA I can imagine for decades. And I've been watching the NBA going back to the mid-70s with the NBA Finals on tape delay. Mentioned Michigan State. My dad's alma mater staying up late to watch Magic after the run to the national title, beating Bird in the Finals in Salt Lake City. So I love the NBA. I watch NBA basketball closely on NBA TV, and I have a historical prism to view things through. I cannot remember a deeper league, and I don't have to go through every team, but just think about the West, for example. I'll do West Coast bias. Minnesota is not an aberration. And I know a lot of you pay no attention until Christmas, and now you don't watch the basketball at all because the NBA has been blown away by football, hijacking another holiday. And a lot of you then maybe parachute in post-football around the NBA trade deadline. If you're not watching the NBA, you're missing a wonderful team in Minnesota. This is not an anomaly, not a one-off. Anthony Edwards is a superstar. And you got Carl Anthony Towns, Rudy Gobert. Oklahoma City is a phenomenal watch with all that young talent. We don't talk about the reigning champs in Denver. I don't know why, because they're in the Rocky Mountains and we can't figure out where that is, if it's not East Coast or West Coast. And I can keep going with Aaron Fox and the Kings. This is the deepest NBA I can ever recall. That is the setup. Now, the payoff is, how can Detroit be this bad? And Cade Cunningham, who's still out there balling, said at best, we're not that bad. And sometimes your record is not who you are, because... They won 17 games last year. Now, I gave them no chance yesterday, and that was not some brilliant insight. And I'm not that well-versed in the world of sports wagering because I had a degenerate uncle who took me to the track when I was 12 years old. And I've seen what sports gambling really looks like. Now, when I get paid, it's going to be a very different situation. Hi, everybody. You're in the sports book with B-Webb. Here's my lock of the millennium. Pistons were a 17-point dog last night, justifiably. Boston, if you're not paying attention, has the best record in the East. Unbelievable depth, adding Porzingis after they made the trade with Marcus Smart. A lockdown defender in Drew Holiday that Milwaukee's truly missing. Boston also undefeated at home. And the Pistons hadn't won since October. So I'm flipping back and forth, as challenging as that was, going from a streamer to NBA TV. And the Pistons are up. But I know the last time they played, they were up double digits against Brooklyn and still lost. So I wasn't feeling that confident. They're up 19 at the half. They led by as many as 21, and they lost in overtime. Why? Because they're the Pistons. And you can't blame Cunningham, the former number one overall pick, 31 in defeat. Boston comes back with 35 from Porzingis, 31 from Tatum. And here we are. Here the bleep we are. At some point, it just becomes self-fulfilling that a team wills their way to losing. Well, now they've done it 28 times in a row. Equaling the mark set by the trust the process Sixers who were trying to lose 2014-2015. I'm old enough to remember, not as a four-year-old kid, but when I started reading these sports books in the 70s, the ignominy, too big a word, the horrendous play of the 72-73 Sixers. Remember them? They only won nine games led by Fred Mad Dog Carter. Well, here we are pushing a new year. And the Pistons now have lost 28 in a row. They started the year 2-1. and one. They haven't won since October 28th. Here's what's coming up rapidly. Tomorrow, a chance to break the streak home against the Raptors. Other than Pascal Siakam, who a lot of you probably can't even name, but I'll take Siakam off the board. Can you name one of the Raptors? Probably not because we're casuals. If they don't win that game, they're not winning for a long time because they're going on the road at the Rockets, at the Jazz, at the Warriors, at the Nuggets. I think they would lose at home to Fox and the Kings as well. That would be 34 straight prior to Victor Wembanyama and the Spurs coming to Motown January 10th. So write it down. If they don't win tomorrow, it's going to be 34 straight. And I know somebody who's going to get a lot of content out of it, the Hall of Famer Jim Rome, who reveled in the Lions running the table in reverse, pulling the full Rod Marinelli. Can't wait for Jim's return from vacation to have a lot of fun and a degree of empathy because Monty Williams is a good dude. He's been on the program. He deserves better. This team is trying, but losing is a disease, says someone who's Well-versed in that thought process. Coming up, let's get to the college football. What's going to be the X factor when Alabama takes on Michigan on Monday at the Rose Bowl? We'll find out when we check in with Chris Vanini of The Athletic. First, time for a sports update. Dexter Henry has the latest. Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show with guest host Brian Weber on CBS Sports Radio. Getting closer to the final hour of the program and coming up an hour from now, much more NFL conversation when we check in with a good friend of the program, Will Brinson of CBSSports.com. Now let's talk college football. Pleased to be joined by Chris Vanini, who does a marvelous job of covering the college game for the Athletic. Kind enough to join us today from Dallas, where he's getting set to cover the Cotton Bowl. And that is a marquee matchup top 10 game between number nine, Missouri, and number seven, Ohio State. Chris, thanks for taking the time. How are you? I
1: am doing well, just watching some more bowl games uh, throughout the day. Thanks for having me.
0: Now, if I was more of a hack, since you're in the Dallas Metroplex area, I would get you right to world-class wrestling and the Von Erics because I'm older than you, but I'm going to leave time at the end because I saw on Twitter you mentioned you've seen the Iron Claw, and I want your thoughts on that, okay? So that put that in your hip pocket. We'll get there in about eight minutes, all right? Sounds good. Sounds good. Uh, although the, I guess the, the teaser is the guy who plays Ric Flair – Probably has never seen the Nature Boy, based on what I've seen on the internet. But since you're in Dallas, and Chris, let me be transparent. I love college sports. I work for Pac-12 Network, or at least I will for the next six months. I'm fully invested in what happens on campus. At the same time, with all these opt-outs, and now heading towards a 12-team playoff, a lot of these games, for me, are less compelling. Still, I'm looking forward to watching the Cotton Bowl tonight. Where do we stand with opt-outs, and what do you think this one might come down to? Well, the biggest question coming into the Cotton Bowl tonight is whether
1: or not Marvin Harrison Jr. is going to play. Um, my guess would be no, because I feel like if he was, we would know. You know? <laughs> we, we, we've, we've kind of had these situations before. So, yeah, there are some opt-outs. With Ohio State, Kyle McCord isn't even on the team anymore. Uh, He has since transferred to Syracuse. So it it does make these New Year's Six non-playoff bowl games a bit different. Uh, But it's a fascinating matchup. A, A Missouri team that overachieved, had a big year, won some big games, surprised a lot of people, is thrilled to be here. Then you've got Ohio State sometimes. They're in these games the last three years after losing to Michigan. And are they not excited to be here? Last year, this team was a field goal away from playing for the national championship. This is not where they expected to be. So that motivation plays into a lot of what you expect coming in and also the talent. You know, same thing Ohio State had a bunch of opt-outs two years ago in the Rose Bowl. They still beat Utah because they got a lot of talent still. So it's always hard to predict all these bowl games, really. And we've seen it this year with underdogs constantly Uh, surprising people.
0: I'm Brian Weber in for Jim Rome talking college football with Chris Vanini of The Athletic. As I mentioned, I follow you on the X as everyone listening should. You pointed out something that I had overlooked. I was aware that Michigan has underachieved the last few years in the national semifinals, getting crushed by Georgia, losing to TCU. But overall, Jim Harbaugh has now lost six consecutive bowl games. He's going to be fine either way. Either he's getting $100 million from Michigan to stay or he's going to the NFL still. How much potentially is at stake in terms of perception and legacy for Harbaugh heading into the Alabama game at the Rose Bowl?
1: I really do think this is a big game for legacy for Jim Harbaugh because yes, he you know hit, hit the first what four or five years of his tenure he couldn't get over the Ohio State hump. They seemed to hit a ceiling, and then finally they did. They beat Ohio State, did it again and again and again. But now and, and won the Big Ten as well. And now they've hit the ceiling of can they get advanced in the college football playoff? They've, they're zero two when they've got there and. They've been, uh, you know, they were a heavy favorite against TCU last year, and to lose that game was stunning. Especially with the way the national championship went, with Georgia blowing TCU out of the water, I think made that loss look even worse. And now you've got to go up against Big Bad Alabama, and I know Alabama hasn't been this year what they have been in the past. I think that continues to add to the pressure. If Jim Harbaugh, as a number one seed, loses to a four seed Alabama to go zero and three in the playoff, one and seven in bowl games. I think you start to – do Do we start talking about Jim Harbaugh like he's Lincoln Riley, a guy who can get there but can't do anything more than that. So this is a fascinating matchup for all kinds of reasons on the field. I love the the mix of styles and the quarterbacks and the coaching. Uh, But there's also a lot of of legacy on this as well because this is also on the other side, perhaps Nick Saban's best coaching job at Alabama. If he takes this team to the national championship, he would just further his status as the greatest of all time.
0: And those are all the reasons why Michigan and Alabama with their brand equities are overshadowing what I think is a more interesting game. And maybe it's my West Coast bias, but I've called games at Husky Stadium. I have so much respect for that program still with the firepower that Texas has to match what Michael Penix Jr. has been doing with Quinn Ewers. And Chris, this nugget, which I, I couldn't believe, so I confirmed it. u is the first Division I team to play nine consecutive games, have them decided by 10 points or less, and win them all. So they've been living dangerously. Do you think that's going to catch up with them when they take on the Longhorns?
1: There, There is a part of me that looks at that stat and says, they're overdue. They've been escaping. It's going to catch up with them against a really talented Texas team. I, like, I do think about that. But I also think about Washington has always stepped up in its biggest games. Weirdly, their biggest troubles this year have come against like Arizona State when they needed a late pick six. They couldn't move the ball. Stanford was a weird game. But when they played Oregon, when they played Utah, when they played the good teams, they've stepped up. And and, and they've been at that level. And so I think the most interesting, we're going to talk about the quarterbacks, the receivers, full of NFL players on these teams. But I'm most interested in Washington's offensive line and Texas's defensive line. Both of them, two of the best units in the country. Texas has the best pair of defensive tackles you'll ever see really and so can washington run the ball they could run the ball on utah they could run the ball on oregon they're going to need to be able to do that so they can't so defenses can't just tee off on michael Penix jr who is going to be able to make some plays so i'm really curious in how those two teams match up in the trenches
0: chris vanini of the athletic is our guest in addition to his college football expertise he is a professional wrestling out now chris my fandom ended circa 1989, but those were better years, and part of being a fan on the East Coast was getting tapes of world-class from the Sportatorium and the Von Eriks being chased by the missing link, etc. So we got about two minutes left. Should I check out the Iron Claw? What's your review, or should I wait for the streaming possibility?
1: The movie was very good. It was very depressing, as you probably, anybody who knows the Von Erich story knows. They do leave a little bit out because it's just so incredibly depressing they couldn't fit it all in there. Yes the Ric Flair impersonation in that one scene is shockingly not good <laughs> but I, but everything else in the movie is fantastic. Zac Efron as Kevin Von Erich is terrific highly recommended maybe the best wrestling I've seen in a movie really like they nailed all that stuff so especially
0: you someone who remembers that time period I think you'll enjoy it. So you're saying better than David Arquette and Ready to Rumble.
1: Better than David Arquette and Ready to Rumble, which I do kind of have some stick nostalgia for as kind of a funny, campy type of movie. And but we should uh, say, it, it,
0: it's very good. I, like as you know, WCW champion David Arquette. Let's not slight him.
1: That is true. That is true. And he's still wrestling, like, every once in a while. I, there was a documentary about him a couple of years yeah, ago, Yeah, no, too.
0: you can't kill David Arquette. Chris, you and I should have a podcast. We can do this for hours. Enjoy <laughs> the game tonight. Greatly appreciate the insights and happy holidays. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. Chris Vanini, kind enough to take out time from his busy schedule. It's going to be a long day with that game not kicking until tonight. Top 10 matchup between Missouri, because I like to placate my friends from the Midwest who told me don't hit that Missouri too hard Ohio State Chris spelled it out well if we don't know the status of Marvin Harrison Jr. let's presume he's not going to play him why would he Going to be a top five pick think about that family connection father's already in the Hall of Fame same position the son equally good don't call him Maserati Marv as Gus Johnson was cramming down our throats throughout the Big Ten regular season action. And with the Jungle Connection, friend of the program, Eli Drinkwitz. we never talk about kickers, but you got that big dude in Missouri who is nails. Not only I think the physics helps him out, he gets all of that force behind him. Harrison Mevis, the thicker kicker, and Missouri... Took me years to remember they're in the SEC. That's really when the dominoes started falling. What's Missouri doing in the SEC? Foreshadowing the chaos as of late. And yes, I will be transparent. I loved professional wrestling as a kid. But again, in fairness, we only had, I think it came until 1983, we only had six channels. One of them was UHF. And you can watch the Weird Al Yankovic movie if you want to learn more about that platform. And wrestling was a big part of it. I love the absurdity of it. I love the soap opera nature to it. A lot of it, obviously, does not age well in terms of the storylines. But if I'm thinking about the biggest influences in my broadcast career, Bob Costas and listen to the Jim Rohn podcast with Bob. It's phenomenal. One, number two, Mean Gene Okerlund, who I spoke to prior to his passing, highlighted my radio career. And as we get ready for the final hour of the program, to channel Mean Gene, don't you dare miss it. Okay, that was lame. Coming up, back to the NFL. More thoughts on what Joe Flacco has done so far. Clinching a playoff spot for the Browns last night. They still have a small chance to be the top seed in the AFC. And why couldn't the Jets emulate what Cleveland achieved this year? I've got the answer straight ahead. Final hour is next. I'm Brian Weber in for Jim Rome on CBS Sports Radio.